Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Live from Washington, D.C. at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, you're listening to The Tidbit, brought to you by Curate. I'm your host and the CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. Do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Well, here at The Tidbit, we've got your back. Each week, we talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens. Today is Juneteenth, which is an American holiday that commemorates the June 19, 1865 announcement of the abolition of slavery in the U.S. state of Texas and more generally, the emancipation of enslaved African Americans throughout the former Confederacy of the Southern United States. And this is a holiday that unfortunately isn't celebrated on a national scale, and we wanted to recognize its importance today, and especially recognize the importance of black entrepreneurship in this country and its formation of this country. And in its honor, we wanted to use the Tidbits platform to give voice to a really long-standing, locally-specific African-American tradition out of Baltimore that you may not know about, called A-Rabbing. And from the A-Rabbers Preservation Society website reads, we recognize A-Rabbing as an African-American folk tradition, an economically viable system and method of apprenticeship unique to Baltimore. An A-Rabber is a street vendor selling fruits and vegetables from a colorful horse-drawn cart. Once a common sight in American East Coast cities, only a handful of A-Rabbers still walk the streets of Baltimore. They rely on street cries to attract the attention of their customers. I had the absolute pleasure of viewing a documentary short titled John and James at the Maryland Film Festival featuring the president of the A-Rabbers Preservation Society, Mr. James Chase. Let's take a listen. Best part of being an A-Rabbit is being your own boss. You done. It was a tradition thing that was passed on down, you know what I mean, through my families. I want to see it continue on. It ain't even about me making a whole bunch of money, but I just stick to the A-Rab thing and the horses period because that's where my heart at. Isn't this the essence of entrepreneurship right here? I mean, building a business based on a need in the community, being your own boss, and waking up every day with a vision and purpose because that's where your heart's at. And I could not be more excited to tell you that today we are welcoming James in studio with the filmmaker of John and James, Holden Warren. Hi, James. Hello. Good morning. Hi, Holden. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being here. I mean, where to begin? So, James, can you give us a picture as to what your day-to-day looks like? You know, you wake up and what happens? Well, 
I start my morning up. I get up in the morning. Of course, brush my teeth, wash my face, take my shower. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, I pretty much just shoot over to our space, our yard, the A-Rabbit's Preservation Society Center. It's called the A-Rabbit Center. We call it the yard. Mm-hmm. So um, I head over to the yard every morning. Um, and my routine goes as um, start cleaning the stalls. Giving the horses feed and the hay and filling the buckets with water and stuff like that. Then we pretty much do that all day. Um, after that, we uh, kind of, sort of, like I got a brother that goes out to the wholesale market in Jessup. And he uh, brings back the fruits and vegetables. And and by, I would say around about noon, between 11 and noon, they, uh, they start loading the wagons up. And Amazing. getting them ready to go out into the streets. So the guys that the Lord, we call them the A-Rabbers, but they, you know, they call them Hucksters today. Oh, yeah, so, um, interesting. Hucksters is another name for um, street vendor uh-huh. or whatever. So they get out there and they, um, we prepare them just to get their day started. Mm-hmm. And so do you have specific routes or neighborhoods that you go through? No, we don't have specific routes, but we will. Like certain days we might go a certain route. Sure. You know what I mean? We might, but. We might pick that route on any day. Yeah. It's just how, according to how you feel in that morning, which way you want to go, or like according to what you're selling on your wagon as well. You know, you want to know, like if you got a load of watermelons, like a lot of watermelons might sell up north, so you tend to go that way, as opposed to tomatoes might sell, sell over east. So you might go that way. It depends on what you're selling that day. That is fascinating. I mean, that's the essence of supply and demand matching, right? Like yes, you ma'am. you know the communities well enough to know what types of produce yeah. is going to sell to which like micro market. Right, right, right. We definitely know that. It's like the utmost of seasonality. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is what everyone always strives to do. And, and here you are turning it into action. Um, we're sitting here with James Chase, the president of the A-Rabbers Preservation Society and an A-Rabber himself. Um, and right now, your route, I mean, like we just mentioned, you may go up north or to the east or even south, and it covers some of the most um, economically depressed areas of Baltimore City. And you mentioned to me previously that fresh fruits and vegetables are hard to come by, and even the elderly wait for you to come through so they can get their produce. So I'm wondering, how does that make you feel? And what do you believe would happen to these communities if the A-Rabbing tradition begins to die away? Well, um, it actually makes me feel wonderful to even feel like, you know, that people is out there depending on me to come through for them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And you know how we are. Like, we sit there and we just be sitting there on a wing and a prayer just hoping that God will find a way to make something work for us that day. So for us to actually provide the elderly with um, fresh fruits and vegetables, even... Like, even if they don't have no money or anything, like, we just send a line of credit to them, you know what I mean? Because we want to serve them, you know what I mean? One day, we're going to have to get old, too, and we're going to always figure out, like, what we supposed to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who's going to be there for us, you know what I mean? So, to be there for the elderly folk and people that's a little less fortunate than others, you know what I mean? It's a wonderful feeling, you know what I mean? Especially when it's coming from the heart. Mm-hmm. It ain't so much about what you're getting in return for what you're doing. It's about the blessing that you're going to receive. So, that's all it's about to me. Like, I love it. I love going to serve these people. I love seeing their faces because it's like a sign of relief. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a hard world out there. It's a struggle. Everybody's struggling. And just to come through with something as small as that, and that could put a big smile, change somebody's day, you know, I'm with it. I love it. Food 
as a sense of hope. Yes, food. You yeah. need that food. Hope, dignity, you know, especially because it is something fresh. Yes, it's fresh. You're going to totally. get it fresh from us. Like, you know, I, I know I described, um, I say we go to Jessa, but, you know, I also travel to Pennsylvania, and I bring the fresh fruit straight from the garden. So it's not going into refrigeration and coming out of refrigeration. It's coming straight from the garden, from the almond shop there. Oh my gosh, what a good segue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Holden, you've known James and have been working with A-Rabbers for quite some time, but before we talk about this amazing documentary short featuring James and his work, I want to talk about the physical location of the horse stables um, and what horses and A-Rabbers do for mental health in the community. So as someone who's been invited into this space, what have you witnessed as a positive transformation by having horses in Sandtown, correct? Um, and just to provide <clears throat> our a little more context for our listener, Sandtown is the community from which Freddie Gray was born and raised, and his murder sparked the uprising in Baltimore City in 2015. So, Holden, tell us more. What, what have you witnessed, again, as being invited into the community as what horses the animals have done? for the community. Yeah, thanks, Kim. Um, it's been amazing. It's been really an honor to work with James and his, his family. His, bro- uh, his uncle, Junior, was the one who kind of brought me in and started introducing me around. And uh, the, it's, that's really the weight of it is it's like people kind of think, oh, it's kind of outdated and things like that. But when kids come into the yard and you see their faces when they see the horses, and it's not just kids, it's adults, it's men, women, children, old people, either they have a connection with Arabing because it's been around in Baltimore for the entire basically history of Baltimore, I mean, in different iterations. And then, you know, also just the connection to animals, you know, we've with our work and James's hard work and diligence and our ability to kind of try and bring in different partners, we've been able to partner with the state um, to kind of try and create this space as like a horse discovery center and oh. try and extend out. And we've talked to a lot of people at the state level, and James and I have, have gone to some of these, gone to different spaces where they use horses as therapy animals, you know, kids that have learning disabilities, autism spectrum, things like that, but then also PTSD veterans. You know, a lot of people like horses are, it's a, it's a, it's a known thing that they're a therapy animal. And so for us to have that in a place that has a lot of violence, you know, Baltimore has been, is one of the most dangerous countries in, I mean, dangerous cities in, in the world. It's in the top 20. It's the, was named the most dangerous city in the United States. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of shootings. There's a lot of killings. And they're very much segregated to a few neighborhoods to the point where if you live in those neighborhoods, it's an omnipresent thing. It's like it's in your life on a very day-to-day basis. And you can live in another part of the city and never, and never see it and literally have a completely separate life. And the, and the A-Rappers are very much ensconced in the middle of that more violent side of the city. You know, we've, we've had some, some dealing with violence lately ourselves. And then also, like, the Freddie Gray thing, the, the second stop of Freddie Gray's van was in front of the A-Rapper yard. You know, that CVS that burned is up the street from us, literally. I mean, that's, like, that, that whole area is, is, you know, is the, the kind of the, the, the thing that was focused on by the media. And so James's work there is super important, yes, because of the fruit and the entrepreneurial side of things, but also just for this, to create a safe space, to create a nature space, to create a place of healing, and to use the horses as that, and to make sure they get on the streets, to make sure that people know where they are and that they can come and engage with them, and it's it's a de facto sort of therapy method that's been in the community for years. You know, there are a lot of people that are horse crazy in West Baltimore that have come up around the horses, and that's like their therapy. I mean, I think, James, you can talk to that. I mean, what are the, you know, we, you deal with, you're living there, you deal with the violence, but what do the horses bring to your life when you're dealing with that stuff? 
Well, like I said, I grew up around the horses and things like that, and um, and it kept me on the positive side of things. You get what mm. I'm saying? Like I had I, all the opportunities to go out there to be a drug dealer, be on the corners, do all kinds of bad things. But I, you know, by my upbringing being around older men that were involved with the Arab culture and stuff like that, and like my grandfather and them taking me in as a little kid, like it helped make me create the person that I am today, you know what I mean, with this type of heart. Like, it taught me how to deal with different personalities, different people, like, attitudes and stuff like that. And um, I think as far as for little kids, the youth, like, they not getting that kind of love and attention, you know what I mean, that the older guys showed me back in the day. Mm. So I try to reach out to them and, you know what I mean, bring them in there and show them something different than the drug dealers and, like, um, all the stuff that they see on social media and stuff like that because all that stuff to me ain't nothing but illusions you get what i'm saying so but these kids tend to believe in it because that's all they know right and without um arab culture dying slowly dying you know what i mean um i think it's something positive to bring back and teach the kids you know like you could do other things you could become your own boss there's still dreams out there that can be fulfilled and stuff like that like so in my neighborhood, like Holden says, a lot of violence and stuff going on around there. But at the end of the day, violence could be anywhere. You know what I mean? It ain't like you got you can't run from it. You know what I mean? You can't even hide from it. You just learn to deal with it. And that's what we do. We deal with it. So, like, I brought other animals in as well. You know, I got an alpaca. I got a goat, ducks, rabbits, alpaca, chickens. amazing. I'm trying to tell you. We got turkeys. We got everything there. You know, everything for kids. Like, you know. And then it's like a space where though it's right in the heart of the city, like where violence is. But we bring the kids out, you know, and a lot of times we might sit in front of the yard and we see a family drive by. Like we might be washing the horse or something. So they just see the horse. We make them pull over. Pull over. Bring the kids in. You know what I mean? Let them see all the other animals. And they come in there and they be like, oh, my God. Like behind these gates, you never knew all this stuff was there because people just constantly riding up and down the street. That is beautiful. And I mean that creation of a third space so it's not your home it's not wherever you're making your money or working but this third space for the community to show up and realize you're absolutely right this new path forward right and the the apprenticeship model because you're learning from an elder and having this passed down tradition that's incredible thank you for sharing that both of you um, we are sitting down with James Chase the president of the a robbers preservation society and an a robber himself and Holden Warren, the filmmaker and producer of John and James, a documentary short about James' work and his relationship with the Amish. We're going to take a quick break and be back with Holden and James to talk about this film. Ellen and I would like to take a ride somewhere. Uh, we never go on vacation. You should. So we're, we're thinking of go? going to seeing Washington, D.C. I want to go talk to <laughs> Obama, tell him what to do. <laughs> you better hurry up. <laughs> Too late now. Yeah. You can see the White House and all that stuff. I've never seen that. I don't know if we'll go or not. We didn't make any plans. You guys don't get wrinkles in your face like we did. Why not? <laughs> you ever heard of saying black don't crack? Ain't that what they say? <laughs> black don't crack. Hey, you got one? Hold it up. We are sitting down with James Chase, the president of the A. Robbers Preservation Society, and Holden Warren, the filmmaker and producer of John and James, a documentary short about James's work and his relationship with the Amish. And we just heard a clip of a really honest conversation between James and John. Holden, can you 
unpack the documentary for us a bit. Why the Amish? Why did you want to juxtapose the lives of James and John next to one another? Tell us a bit more. Sure. So I've been documenting the Arabers for about 10 years now. And uh, we wanted to come out with something that would get to a finish line so we could have new conversations because we've been just documenting for so long. And we became friends with this Mennonite. James is known. They're Mennonites, not Amish. There's like okay, there's some yeah. there's like a subtle distinction that has to do with like colors of clothing. Like yeah, like well, how they it's not like, like who how they deal with electricity, like how they deal with telecommunications. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but so anyway, this guy's a Mennonite, and he's these they they've known each other forever because that's where James and his whole tradition has gone and gotten their horses. What. The reason I really wanted to juxtapose it, so we had those two things, and I was like, wow, this is an amazing story. Like, these two guys are friends, and they're both kind of these characters. Like, James is funny, but John's also this very kind of naughty Mennonite who, like, you know, just, like, make sure you bring a bottle of wine. And, you know, he's, like, he's fun. He's a, he's a really curious guy. He's also, like, a really solid dude. Like, don't, I want to say, like, he's amazing. And he's, like, very much a Mennonite, but he's, like, he plays with it. And he, like, but he, out of a curious way. It doesn't, it doesn't come across as, like, he's you know, bad. It's just like, he just, the world is interesting to him. Totally. And so what was really interesting is people don't realize this connection exists. Basically the Arabber world as a horse world was very insular up until sixties, seventies, maybe, maybe even eighties, like seventies, eighties. It was like, you could get your horses shoot in Baltimore. You could have your wagon wheels fixed, your wagon fixed. All that stuff could happen within Baltimore. And then as the, it, it started to fall apart or the industry started to shrink, those, those professions weren't passed down. They weren't, they just died. Uh, Just within that community, obviously, these are things that people with horses need. And so the only people who really work their horses like the Arabers do, which is this day-to-day horse and wagon kind of, you know, work is the Amish and the Mennonites because they use them as vehicles. They use them to pull their tractors. They're using them in the same in the same capacity. So there's this really intrinsic bond between the two people, and it's it, it's not it's something that they all that they share this like horses and wagons and this thing of driving. And it's like it's something that not many people really share, and so it's really interesting. I wanted to show the world that, and also just given the the, the politics of our country right now. The racial politics are really intense and they're a white guy and a black guy and they don't act like that's like they're able to even have conversations like black why don't you get wrinkles and it's just like but they're like human beings who they've already like they respect each other on such a deep level that that doesn't it doesn't it's not a factor there's two humans who are next to each other who can have conversations about race in a way that's like meaningful because they already love and trust each other and so it's not like are you racist? you know are you it's like no let's just talk about this and so mm-hmm. i think those are the two big things it was like it was very much a meaning about like humanity and that we're all human and that we all have this like deeper connection and this is such an interesting way to look at it because you just would never assume it's there and so really at the heart of it it's really about how we as humans are all kind of you know bonded and then it just kind of ripples out with all these crazy kind of like but there are these two things and how do these people come together and it's just and they're great characters, and it really, we caught something nice. It's fantastic. It's a really phenomenal microcosm of these two individuals who you would think never would talk to one another, but here you are, best friends with John. <laughs> and so, James, you and John, like we've just said, you know, you may live very different lives, but ultimately, you're both providing for your families and, and reconnecting with the earth. I mean, you're distributing high quality raw goods like fruits and vegetables. You're building community within your cities um, and cross-culturally with one another because you're learning about each other's lives and and the, the surrounding areas where you're growing up. And so all of these are attributes of business that today's entrepreneur is striving to build. 
again, connecting with the planet, with the earth, building community, even having more of that community bond with each other as business owners. So I'm wondering, can you give our listener any tips on building a business? Are there any lessons you've learned that you can share as a best practice as to what to do or not to do in your journey of entrepreneurship? Well, I want to say for me, and what I would say to people is, first off, don't be a pretender. Just be yourself. You know, that's the main thing with me. You just got to be who you are. People going, it's going to be people that's going to accept you and it's going to be people that's not going to accept you. But it's the fight in you. You know what I mean? You got to keep going. You got to have that willpower and you got to have that strength and you got to believe in God. And, you know, and just continue to pray that things fall in place for you. And um, that's the thing. Just be yourself and respect people. As long as you got respect for yourself and respect for others, I'm sure, like, any business will grow, you know? Any business. You could do anything in the world you want. You know, the sky's the limit. It's all, it all depends on the person you are, you know, and me. Like, I'm just a people's person. And, mm-hmm. again, like, going back to what I said earlier, it comes from me being around, being exposed to different things in life, you know? I've been around people that got high, used drugs. I mean, I've seen a lot of things, you know what I mean, coming up as a kid, yeah. stuff like that. So, you know, it, it taught me how to deal with different so, I mean, situations. Like, you know, everybody I deal with, it, I treat them accordingly, you know what I mean? I don't go off of, if you don't like that person, then I don't like them either. It's like nothing like that, you know what I mean? The whole thing is just to be yourself, and you know what I mean? Keep going, you know what I mean? Don't let nothing stop you. Yeah, you keep an open mind and don't right. play off of a stereotype of... Right what someone may act like or may be like. Exactly. I mean, those are beautiful words to share with, again, the young kids who you may even apprentice. Um, Is there any other sort of words of wisdom that you may share with a youth who comes into the yard? Well, you know, I always tell them just find that love and that passion for whatever you believe in. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you had a dream, you want to be a police officer, go for it. If you want to be a cook, go for it. It's like... It's nothing stopping. You got your whole life ahead of you. And I tell that to kids all the time. Like, man, don't sit out here in these streets and just waste your life and waste your time just doing nonsense things. And, like, trouble is very hard, easy to get into, and very hard to get out of. And you know what I mean? So I always tell the little kids, like, man, come on, don't waste your time. You know what I mean? Just look around. It's all in your face of what you could become, but you know what you want to be. So be what you want to be. You know what I mean? Don't let life trick you. Yes. And your relationship with John, just going back to that for a second, in the short, you loved seeing his home because there was a lot of space and there's just open farmland. And you had mentioned earlier that you go up to Pennsylvania to get fruits and vegetables straight from the farm. And so what has that done for you, even reconnecting with such a rural community? All right. This is how it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I first met them, they was like a little standoffish. Uh, because they didn't know me. Probably wasn't even used to dealing with my race or whatever. You know what I mean? Like Holden said, we had our own farriers and wagon builders that they passed on. And the tradition wasn't passed down. You know, the trade wasn't. Um, so I guess up there with John and them. And I used to see them at the auction. And they used to see me with a horse and always be like, where this guy coming from with a horse or like 
why he buying horses and I used to buy so many horses and they used to be like he always buying horses like what do he do so one day I was like um I could just tell because they every time I would come in they would be like getting their little clicks and be talking <laughs> and um one day I just introduced myself to him and I like look man this is what I do down here you know what I mean this is what I do and I start I'm like um I have, I have horses, I have Arab cars, I have carriages and stuff like that. So he was like, you know how the person look at you like they just don't believe you. Like this guy just talking. So I started showing them pictures and stuff like that. So then it was like, oh, you do have this stuff. So they started getting interested in the Arab thing, like what we do with produce and stuff like that. And then I met a guy named Leon. His name Leon Hoover. And he was, um, he's a guy I frequent deal with of there buying fruits and vegetables mm. and stuff like that so um he extended out his arms to me and like brought me in to his family and his farm and stuff like that and uh i get my fruits and vegetables from him a lot of them oh amazing is yeah. there one that you can always sell like if you know he has it you know you'll buy it oh yeah like it's, it's seasonal though but yeah. it's watermelons and cantaloupes oh <laughs> you yeah not go wrong <laughs> uh-huh yeah so um Dealing with him, like, you know, and then as a kid, always, like, when I came up around horses, I always say, I want my own farm. So, I guess, in a way, I do have a farm because I go up there to Pennsylvania, so I'm family now with them, you know what I mean? Like, I'm part of their, their culture as well, you know what I mean, in my own mind. But, yeah, yeah, I'm up there with them now. First black arms Mennonite man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's who I am. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, uh-uh. I do okay with them. With yeah. People. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And so how can our listener get involved if they want to support the A-Rabbing tradition, you know, see you in action, tell us more, even follow online. Sure. How can people support? You can follow us. We have an, a website, uh, A-Rabbers, uh, com. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the, the social media. Be more A-Rabbers, Baltimore A-Rabbers. If you ever want to come to Baltimore and go to the A-Rabber yard, you're always welcome. Um, I wouldn't come too late at night, but otherwise you're, there's always somebody there. It's 1102 North Fremont, um, Baltimore, Maryland. So you can come check us out and yeah, and just or just reach out on over Facebook, email, anything. We're around uh, support-wise. You know, You can donate. You can spread the word. You can buy some fruit. There's lots of ways to do it. <coughs> Um, to your June nineteenth Juneteenth thing, I think it's it's it is apropos. The Arabers really are like the like one of the earliest entrepreneurial things an African American could do because you're in a free city. So Baltimore is a free city. So free blacks are going there. The, like as slavery is sort of like winding, not winding down, but it's starting to kind of break apart. And so literally, I mean, you could argue there were blacks that were on ships and things like that. But in Baltimore, it was one of the earliest professions a black person could have you know what i mean and it was just being like a street hugster and so it really is kind of the naissance of this like uh, of black entrepreneurship and a really a deep tie to, to the american dream you know i think uh, his grandfather man boy was really connected to that and that was always he was really like this came up through the halcyon days you know of the best of a rabbing in the 50s and 60s when west baltimore was like dumb safe like nobody locked the doors and it was just like everybody cooked and you could sell they were selling fish and crabs and like the a rabbers were just like 
kings, man. They Not were just, just produce. No, no, everything. Yeah. Every well, it, it was everything. I mean, you have to realize that these are also cities that are built by horses. So it's like you go back far enough, and the milk is coming on a horse. The construction's coming on a horse. The older guys are saying like, house burns down. That we're going to haul away the wood. You know, they had junk on the wagon. We were coming down here today, and he's you know, fruit still junk sometimes. And you'll and you know, looking. But that was an Arabber thing. They would go around and collect scrap metal. They would do coal in the winter. Like it was like this really early entrepreneurial thing, probably the original, and still has that kind of energy to it, which is really beautiful and really connects to a deeper American dream that I feel like has been lost a lot. Mm. Is that it's really now it's about money and it's about getting rich. And that was never what drew people to America. It was like this idea of like, you don't have anyone above you. Like in all of Europe, there was a, there was a royalty system. So you were always born here and you could never get here. Mm. And America didn't have that. It was like sky's the limit. And that's why people came here. It was just to be their own man. To be like his, his grandfather was saying, like, I just wanted to be a self-made man. I've raised my kids on this. Like, you know what I mean? And so it wasn't about getting rich. It's just about like being your own dude and like showing up and that's your pride. And so that's still, I think, a very important part of A-Rabbing. And I think that's why and beyond just in Juneteenth and like the African-American side of it, it's a really important it's a really important piece of the American dream and the idea of what that means and what it means to be entrepreneurial, to, to, to have these things. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's important on a lot of levels that you're having. Absolutely. It, it's about freedom and perseverance and, yeah. and having your own agency and will and ownership to, to live your best self, to live your true self. That's right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those links. We uh, write up show notes about each episode on our blog, curate.co slash blog, C-U-R-E-A-T-E dot co slash blog. So we'll link to all of that on the blog. So head over there. And this show is based on a biweekly newsletter that we send out at Curate called The Tidbit. And in it, we discuss what we're reading, eating, drinking, listening to, and learning. Five quick morsels to get you information, get you in the know, on top of your game. So if you're eager to learn more tidbits of knowledge about the food and beverage industry, starting or growing a business, or even entrepreneurship lessons learned, sign up today. We have a send coming out this week. Head over to curateconnect.com and sign up in the footer, C-U-R-E-A-T-E, connect.com. And until next time, everyone, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.